As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. After breaking new ground on the show by having a guest to talk about the Cardinals, Larry D is kicking it old school as he gives his takes on the Niners, Seahawks, and Rams to wrap up the NFC West. Are the Niners in trouble? Can the Seahawks stay on top or will the Rams get over the hump? All of this and so much more on the NFC West preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. One team down, three more to go as we wrap up the NFC West with part two of our opponent previews. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back, the NFC West preview episode, part two of the Chicago Bears review. Had a fantastic conversation with Jess Root from RevengeOfTheBirds.com talking all about the Arizona Cardinals on that uh, first preview preview episode. And, um, you know, I... I'd like to hear some feedback from you guys on this. How much did you guys like having the different opinions, having fans of the other teams talking about their team uh, on the show, showing off their expertise? Maybe you guys learned something in an interview you didn't know uh, about the Arizona Cardinals. I know that I did, you know, because we've been doing this show nine years now. This is the ninth season of the Chicago Bears. If you started back in 07 when the Bears are defending their NFC championship from 06 and, uh, you know, you guys have been with me through those lean and meaty lovey years, the, the the abomination that was the 2014 season last year. You guys put up with me when I couldn't even put up with myself long enough to, to give you anything but knee-jerk reactions as a review episode because I was so pissed off I didn't want to bellyache for 35 minutes on the show. You guys stuck with me through that, and here we are, season number nine, and uh, decided to finally add a new wrinkle Uh, to it all and not only just my majestic voice are you listening to but those of the people that i can get to come on to the show and talk to us about uh their team so any feedback you guys have good or bad feel free to share uh search facebook for the chicago bears of you hook up with the uh the page there uh give your give your feedback on the page or come and uh find me on twitter at shy bears of you chi bears of you and um you know get your feelings known uh, that way, we have got, um, uh, it's just me on this episode, so for all you old school kids that like just having Larry D on the show, this is going to be your episode, breaking down the 49ers, the Rams, and the Seahawks. Next week, however, actually at the end of this week, we're going to have our same place opponents, uh, the Washington Redskins and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to have uh, Mike Harar uh, from Hog. Hog Haven on the SBNation.com uh, website and uh, Sander Phillips 
uh, from Bucks Nation on the SB Nation site as well to talk about those teams with us. Um, haven't had a chance to talk to them yet, and once I do, we'll be able to figure out if it's going to be both teams on the same show or if we're going to have one for the Redskins and one for the Bucks, kind of like how we're doing NFC West Part 1, Arizona Cardinals, Part 2, the other three teams, uh, and so on. And then hopefully I'll be able to, uh, when I get someone from the AFC West, to kind of do the whole AFC West show with that one person, break down the entire division, and then feature their team uh, as the bulk of the show, if you will. And then, like I said, the goal um, with the NFC North is to have one for each one episode for each team in the NFC North, including the Bears. So um, that's my ambitious project to kick off the 2015 season with these opponent preview episodes. So uh, hopefully everything will work out. You guys will enjoy that. So I can keep inviting people uh, to listen uh, to the show. So, uh, you know, like I said, get the feedback known. Search Chicago Bears review on Facebook. Hell, even give me a review on iTunes. I, you know, I've switched the feed so many times I don't have any reviews on iTunes. So give me a review on iTunes. Get my star rating up there so, uh, you know, it'll be there in the feed when people search podcast. Build up the show uh, that way uh, as well. So give me a review on iTunes. Give me as many stars as they'll allow or however many you think I should deserve. So. All right, so we got the NFC West. We got the the four. I keep wanting to say Cowboys for some reason. Who the Cowboys in the Old West or whatever the hell's going on in my head? But we got the 49ers, the Rams, the Seahawks that we're going to be talking about. You know, we already got a belly full of the Cardinals uh, earlier this week with uh, with Jess Root from Revenge of the Birds dot com. So we've already had our our lion's share of 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 the Cardinals. Now we're gonna. I'm gonna give you my take on what I've learned about the 49ers, what I, you know took away from the 2014 season, uh, and so on. The same with the Rams and the Seahawks as well. It's gonna be tough to take that division from Seattle because you know they are pretty much the same team they were at the end of last season, plus Jimmy Graham. So if the Seattle Seahawks weren't scary enough, you add Jimmy Graham to that, and welcome to the rest of the NFL's nightmare. So. Uh, we'll see how that all works out uh, in the end. So uh, what do you say we uh, just get to it and talk about what Jess Root calls a dumpster fire or the possible dumpster fire that could be the 2015 San Francisco 49ers? <laughs> After three straight NFC Championship game appearances, which also included a Super Bowl berth, uh, year number four under Jim Harbaugh, um, number one did not get off to a promising start and ended with an even less promising finish. But it, it kind of felt like this was a campaign that was doomed from the beginning because even before the season started, in the offseason and everything, there were rumblings about how Jim Harbaugh's days in San Francisco were numbered and I mean there were even rumors that Harbaugh wouldn't even be the coach in 2014 let alone be there at the end of the 2014 season uh, to boot I mean there were there were those rumors about um, him being traded to the Browns uh, for draft picks and think kind of like uh, in in like uh, like John Gruden was traded from the Raiders to the to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and, and, and so on in that in that regard. So, I mean, the rumors like that uh, swirling around and then all season long, 
there was that undercurrent of this is kind of there all along to go along with the the fact that the 49ers were kind of plagued by injuries um you know navarro bowman didn't play it down in 2014 with how integral and, and important he was to that defense patrick willis was hurt uh throughout the year and so on with the uh with the injuries the ray mcdonald thing he got booted before the season was over and we bear fans know how that all worked out for everyone including ourselves um but colin kaepernick didn't quite answer the call um this was a team that 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 just not really didn't have an identity last season because they kind of walked away from the professional welder shana ford used vr training developed by forge fx to hone her skills as a welder the more time that you spend practicing it that's what separates a good welder from a great welder vr training can help students like shana repeatedly practice specific skills Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline one that they had which was a power running game and a stifling defense the defense while impressive at times wasn't what it had been the three years before and the offense actually for the first time under Jim Harbaugh threw the ball more than it ran uh, in 2014 and you know when you were asking when you we took Colin Kaepernick and I don't know if they did it for his health or if that's just what they were trying to do with the offense because running that spread option the read option actually not spread option the read option you know I don't know if they were trying not to or trying to preserve their quarterback protect their investment because he signed a big contract extension before the 2014 season trying not to have him beat up as much uh, or anything like that had him throwing out of the pocket more as a regular pro style quarterback and that really wasn't his strength he didn't seem to respond well to it and it kind of cost the 49ers uh you know as they uh as they progress through the through the season i mean they opened this brand new you know billion dollar stadium in santa clara uh just up the road uh from san francisco i think like 40 minutes if i think is, is how far away it is uh from the bay area and uh opened it against our bears of no uh you know of all teams on national television and the bears won they lost their their home opener for this brand new beautiful state-of-the-arts facility that they had and they actually went four and four in their new building you know under harbaugh i think the worst that they finished at home was like six and two seven and one in in the three previous seasons under harbaugh they didn't lose many football games the candlestick when 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 harbaugh was coach they went four and four at home, four and four on the road. Um, you know, it, it was a, a very different football team. And, uh, you know, the, the thing was, it kind of, it fell off, the wheels fell off late in the year because going into their Thanksgiving night matchup, their first matchup of the year, uh, honest, uh, mind you, 
first matchup of the year, week 12, week 13, whichever Thanksgiving was. Um, their first matchup of the year with the Seahawks, they were 7-4. and four. They were 7-4 and four going into that game. And they with, with that Seahawks game, they proceeded to lose four straight, including both games against the Seahawks. And yeah, I, I don't think they scored a touchdown in either game, actually. I was just looking at the scores, and, and I know one of them for sure was like 19-3, to three, and I think the other one was like 17-6. to Low-scoring football games, but neither time did their football team get inside uh, the end zone. Uh, against those uh, against the Seahawks they lost four games and finished the year eight and eight so they went from seven and four to finish eight and eight they you know one and four in the last five games of the season kind of put the punctuation on that uh, on the season of theirs you know they they kind of went on a, on a tear there in the middle of the season because they started one and two and you know they had a good uh, October and November because they're seven and four they're still in the mix they're still in the playoff talks and wild card and and so on despite being behind Seattle and Arizona in that division but they're still in, in the charge in the race for a wild card berth you lose four out of five down the stretch including four in a row um, you know their season was over before they even took the field against Arizona in that season in season finale so um you know, it it uh, the writing had basically been on the wall all season that Harbaugh was going to be out the door, and to have his team in the most important month of the season fall flat on his face, you know, the door was swung wide open, and uh, you know he was pushed, he was heaved through the uh, through the door. So he leaves, he goes off to Michigan, where he's probably the richest coach in college football right now, trying to revive that program, and. Um, Tom Sula is uh, is uh, his last name. Tom Sula is the uh, the new head coach of the 49ers. And you know, if, if anybody's heard my appearances on on the Football Is America show, uh, that podcast you can all find on iTunes. Actually, um, Ron and Kyle, my good friends on that, uh, you know, running that show, um, do a fantastic job with it. Um, I, I compare Tom Sula to. Dave Campo of the Dallas Cowboys. If you guys remember Dave Campo, he was a uh, uh, an assistant on the staff for Jimmy Johnson. He was an assistant on the staff for Barry Switzer. And after Barry Switzer was let go, Jerry Jerry Jones didn't have anybody else to hire, so he hired Dave Campo, and he was the head coach for either two or three abysmal seasons for the Cowboys before Jerry Jones opened up his pocketbook and hired Bill Parcells to be the head coach of which I believe Dave Campo was an assistant coach under Bill Parcells so you know he was he actually after he was let go as head coach he did serve as an assistant coach on the staff after that usually if you're fired as head coach you'll never see that organization again but Dave Campo stayed in Dallas and uh, basically kept doing the job that he was meant to do all along as opposed to being the head coach uh, you know of that uh, franchise that's who Tomasula r- reminds me of he was a, an assistant under Mike Tomlin he was an assistant under Mike Singletary he was an assistant under Jim Harbaugh you know he was the interim coach actually the head coach for I think one game after Mike Singletary was let go I think they even actually won that game or they just barely lost it one of the two and then Jim Harbaugh comes in. He's the coach. Tom Sula stays. He's their defensive line coach. He's not even a coordinator. He's a defensive coach, defensive line coach. 
And after they let Harbaugh go, uh, they tried to hire Adam Gase, but it was very much like a Bruce Arians type situation where there was some disagreement either on how the offense was going to be run or the defense, one of the two, but a very similar situation to Bruce Arians and the Bears when, uh, you know, Arians was, uh, you know, wanted to have his staff and, you know, his his coaches and everything and run the defense his way. Um, and the Bears weren't going to do that. So off he goes to Arizona. Adam Gase wanted to be able to run his own show or disagreed with how the 49ers wanted to do something. So they passed on Adam Gase. Nobody else is available. They give this guy the job, and he is the head coach from an outsider's perspective, seemingly by default, because nobody else wants the job. We'll give it to the guy that's been loyal. We'll give it to the company man, and we'll see how it goes. Now, granted, I've heard great things about him as far as, uh, you know, the the players are big fans. There's a huge approval rating by the by the players and so on and so forth. But, you know, and then you throw on top of everything the fact that, uh, you know, players are running away from this team like like rats off a sinking ship, whether it be by free agency or, you know, when half your defense retires for one reason or another, it just does not speak well uh, of what the team is going to be able to do, uh, you know, in the future. And, um, you know, it, it's it's too bad that, you know, the 49ers that, you know, toiled in mediocrity for years after, you know, their great years in the in the the the. the the 80s and then into the 90s with Steve Young and uh, and so on and you know and we're able actually to make a couple things happen under uh, under Jeff Garcia in the early 2000s there for a bit uh, you know but for them to turn out the way that they have and to, to to for have Harbaugh basically pull them out of it seemingly overnight and you know they basically look like they're on on their road back to that mess uh, once again. Um, you know, they also lost Vic Fangio, who, of course, we know is going to be calling our defensive plays this year for the Bears. Um, yeah, they have a brand new offensive coordinator in Geep Creast. I, th- I believe that's how you pronounce his last name. He was their former quarterback coach and former New York Jets and Cleveland Brown head coach Eric Mangini is going to be the defensive coordinator uh, for the 49ers. But his defense, it's going to be a mess. I mean, Patrick Willis retired. And then, you know, he spent half the year on the injured list last year. And while he was hurt, Chris Borland, another a rookie linebacker playing in his, in his spot, played fantastically. People were thinking that when Willis retired that, well, we got Chris Borland. We're going to be fine. And then a week later, Chris Borland retires because of uh, concussion issues and, you know, not wanting to basically, you know, I'm not calling the guy a coward by any stretch of the imagination, but it kind of feels like with all the – the talk of you know CTE and the brain injuries and you know and, and guys coming down with MS because of the head injuries and and stuff like that that you know maybe he was kind of scared into retiring and you really can't fault the guy because it's your brain and it's your life and if you're not an idiot like Chris Conte you're actually looking forward to old age and being an old man and you know watching your kids and your kids kids grow up to be adults and stuff like that. Um, you know, he went, he, I think he was scared away from the game, unfortunately, not calling, like I said, not calling him a coward because I'm, you know, I don't mean to disrespect his decision, but that's, you know, you know, kind of, he was, he was afraid of turning out like that and you can't blame him. 
you know, especially with the position that this guy plays, linebacker, his entire career is one collision after another. So, you know, can't really fault the guy, to be completely honest with you. But he goes, uh, followed by, um, you know, uh, Mike Upati, the offensive lineman. Uh, not only did he leave, but he stayed in division with the Cardinals. Uh, Chris Culliver, one of their, their one of their cornerbacks, he leaves. I believe he went to – did he – I don't remember where he went – um, maybe Philadelphia. Frank Gore leaves, so that power running game behind Gore, that's gone. He's going to be running the football for the Colts. Uh, Anthony Davis, who was a first-round pick, an offensive tackle, not officially retiring, but basically bowing out of football. He will not play in 2015 because of other injury uh, concerns. Basically just wants to take some time to heal up. And then Justin Smith, their longtime defensive end, um, toiled over the decision on whether or not he was going to stay is he going to go is he going to retire he retired at the end of the month last month as well so you know and these are just some of the names that aren't coming back so i mean the the, the biggest you know excitement in in training camp right now is the fact that the they have an australian rugby player who's trying to make the conversion over to the over to pro football um as a running back uh, in the league so i mean that's one thing that you can keep your eye on when it comes to 49ers camp this year so you know on the offensive side it, it, it really does kind of look like the 49ers are going to try to pass the ball more I mean with Frank Gore gone that takes away your your grinder your you know your lower your head three yards in a cloud of dust guy and then they replace him with Reggie Bush Reggie Bush, who is not known for grinding it out, who's not known for running between the tackles, who's more known as the specialty guy that basically comes out of the backfield and things like that. Um, they signed Torrey Smith away from the Baltimore Ravens, which adds a deep threat to the offense that they really haven't had in a long time. Uh, pair him up with Anquan Bolden. These are the same receivers that beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl a few years ago. You know, Vernon Davis coming, you know, coming back after a down year, only 25 catches last year. Um, you know, it, it looks like they, they're, they're veering more towards the pass than they are uh, with the run. On the defensive side, Eric Mangini, he's got a he's got a job ahead of him. They were absolutely gutted by the offseason, you know, retirements, free agents signing and, and, and leaving. The, you know, they did get uh, Darnell Dockett away from the Arizona Cardinals. They drafted Eric Armstead um, out of Oregon, I think 15 overall, 17 overall, somewhere in that uh, in that area. He's he's more of an athletic prospect than anything else. He um, you know, when he got drafted on on draft day, the experts didn't really have glowing reviews of him, but more so, you know, this guy's an athlete. He played basketball at the University of Oregon. He's got size. He's six foot seven, two hundred ninety pounds. He's got good speed, good strength. It's just, you know, he's kind of like one of those things. He's a, a master. He's a jack of all trades, a master of none, kind of thing. He's good against the run. He's, you know, he's he's okay rushing the passer, but he's not great at either one. But because of his size, his athleticism and everything, that made him a top prospect. So he will, goes in the first round to the 49ers. They're hoping that he can be the heir apparent or the replacement, rather, for a guy like um, Justin Smith. So there is a bright spot, though, on the defense. Despite losing Patrick Willis and Chris Borland, they still have um, Ahmad Brooks. 
They have a healthy Navarro Bowman who didn't play a down in 2014 after suffering that catastrophic knee injury uh, in the 2013 NFC Championship game. He'll be back. And they also have Alden Smith, who won't be missing time this year because he managed to keep himself out of trouble. So he won't be arrested or serving any more suspensions. He'll be ready to play the entire season. I think he missed nine games last year um, because of stupidity and then and nothing else so but they'll be back so the linebacking core for the most part which is vital in a 3-4 situation is is still in place so that's one bright spot to look at their second or secondary they lost like three either two or three starters in in the secondary um either left or, or signed elsewhere uh and so on so it's not a there's not a lot to be you know, like, yay, look at the 49ers. Now, I will say this about the 49ers. If they do well this year, I honestly feel like that will be one of the big surprises of the season if they do well this year. Let's say, you know, if they contend for a playoff spot, you know, if they beat the Seahawks at some point, you know, if they make a run at a wild card, that kind of thing. If they're in a spot to do that, I think a lot of people – outside of the 49ers organization will be surprised because nobody's really expecting anything from them this year because when they put the offensive load on Kaepernick by throwing the football more last year he faltered he was inaccurate he turned the ball over I mean hell look at the Bears game I mean granted it was only week two very early in the season but he had he either had four interceptions and five turnovers, three interceptions and four turnovers. Either way, Colin Kaepernick basically was the reason that they lost that football game because the Bears scored 21 points in the fourth quarter, and it was all off Kaepernick turnovers uh, there in, in the end. So, I mean, it, it was a huge reason why they lost that first game uh, at home in that beautiful new uh, stadium. Will he be able to bounce back? Will he respond well? Will you know? Can they put the weight of the team on his shoulders because defense and running the football was the name of the game well the running game is going to be carrying the football in indianapolis and the bulk of their defense is gone either retired or playing football elsewhere this year and like i said they still have that core of of linebackers that pretty much any team in the league would love to have especially one that's running a three four system but the secondary has been gutted. Their defensive line is down to the bare bones. I mean, they still have Glenn Dorsey. They, they, um, you know, they drafted that Eric Armstead kid. They got Darnell Dockett, you know, but Darnell Dockett didn't play last year because of an injury. He didn't play down uh, in 2014. So you don't really know. You're not really expecting a lot from the 49ers. So, you know, if they manage to do something, you know, dramatic this year and, and make, a, make a noise, um, the 49ers themselves and 49er fans might not be surprised, but I sure as hell will be. So, you know, looking at their schedule, um, you know, I, I've, right now I'm, I'm on the negative side with the 49ers, so I'm thinking 5-11, and 6-10. So, um, you know, we'll see how, how it all shakes out for the 49ers once the season finally gets kicked off. And, uh, you know, like I said, they'll be an interesting team to watch this year because there is some talent still there. It's just I I don't think it's it's in the right place to do something right now. So that's just my two cents on the 49ers. So let's go ahead and um, and move on and, and talk about a team that I've I'm waiting for these guys to prove me right because I've been telling you for a couple years now 
that this team, you ought to watch out for this team because this team scares me. If they ever figure it out on offense, they're going to be the team to beat uh, for a long time to come. And uh, that team that I'm still waiting to prove me right, in fact, is the St. Louis Rams. You want to see how serious the Rams are about improving that offense of theirs. Just look at the moves that they made in the offseason. Number one, of course, being trading away Sam Bradford uh, to the uh, Philadelphia Eagles in return for Nick Foles. So he will be their their new quarterback this year. Um, You know, they uh, and then look at the draft where. For the first time in God knows how long, they didn't draft a defensive player um, in the first round. They actually didn't draft a defensive player until the seventh round of the draft, and they had the 10th pick overall. They took Todd Gurley, the running back from Georgia, who's coming off an ACL injury that he had uh, in, in, I believe, October uh, of last year. So he's he's not quite 100% yet, but they think he'll be ready for the season. And then followed that up with four of their next six picks were offensive linemen. So, you know, they're gearing up that side uh, of the of the football for a change. Uh, instead of building instead of building upon one of the best young defenses in the NFL, they decided to finally address the offensive side of the ball. They have a new a new uh, a new quarterback. They got the running back Todd Gurley, who's you know could be a game breaker if he is anything like he was uh, at the University of, of Georgia, and you know building up that offensive line and somehow managing to maintain their status as one of the youngest teams uh, in the NFL. I mean, it's just uh, ridiculous. When I was uh, looking at it, uh, the roster, especially when I, when I looked down at the offensive line, um, they got rid of Jake Long. Um, they um, Scott Wells is gone uh, as well. So the longest tenured player on the offensive line right now has been in the league for six years. The other four projected starters have either this, they're entering their second year. Two of them are entering their second year in the league. One is entering his third, and their other projected starter is their second-round pick, uh, the offensive tackle Haver, Haverstein, I believe, from Wisconsin. So you're being this, a sixth-year player in the NFL gives, gives you the longest tenure on the offensive line uh, for the St. Louis Rams. These guys are building for the future, and hopefully for their sake it will, uh, it will work out. So it's, uh, you know, they, they have Greg Robinson, who they drafted number two overall last year, Roger Safford, Barrett Jones, you know, and, and, and those two rookies uh, in there. It's uh, – it's – it's if they can gel, if they can, uh, you know, play well together. Like I've been saying, you gotta watch out for these guys. So, uh, wide receiver is actually probably where the, you know, probably where it gets weak for you. Kenny Britt is there. Tavon Austin was a top ten, a draft choice number eight, but he's more of a, 
he's more of a gadget guy or a gimmick guy like uh, Thomas Ula thinks of Reggie Bush. He's kind of that guy. He's a slot receiver. He's a out of the backfield swing receiver kind of guy. And uh, you know Brian Quick, who was a second round choice uh, for them, but it's it's not an impressive bunch that they have uh, at the wide receiving core. They do, however, have Jared Cook, one of the best tight ends uh, in the league, and Lance Kendricks, who's uh, backing him up. Uh, as well Um, if Todd Gurley isn't ready to go when when the season starts they still have Trey Mason and Benny Cunningham uh, running the football for him Um, you know and actually now that I look at it it was November 15th so a little bit later in the year that uh, that Gurley uh, got hurt but this is year number four of the Jeff Fisher uh, experiment Uh, he and uh, Les Snead the general manager I I guess are are kind of uh, on one of those five-year plan type deals so it, it's getting to the point where it's time to put up or shut up because uh you know their defense they've been building up that defense like you would not believe four first round picks and then when they added nick fairly uh in free agency he signed a one-year prove-it deal uh with the rams to put him in the middle uh as well that's five first round picks that they have uh on the defensive uh line uh you know for the rams along with guys like uh with Laurinaitis and Ogletree um in the linebacking core uh Chris Long is going to come back healthy Robert Quinn had a down year last year but uh, he'll be back as well Aaron Donald was defensive rookie of the year last year and then Michael Brockers who was part of trade rumors with the Bears because there was there was rumors that the Bears would swap picks and get Michael Brockers to go from 7 to 10 because I think the Rams were after somebody like Kevin White or, you know, maybe even trying to get an offensive tackle if um, if um, the one that went to the Redskins was still there, um, whose name is just flying right over the top of my head right now. I'm sorry, guys. But, you know, Brockers is there with Fairley, Donald, uh, Aaron Donald, Chris Long, Robert Quinton, these they're all first-round picks, every last one of them. And these are the guys that are playing defensive line for him. Um, you know, like I said, linebacking core is, is shallow behind Laurinaitis and Ogletree. They they signed Akeem Ayers away from the Broncos to to shore up that uh, linebacker spot. But if any one of those guys gets down, uh, the the guys that are stepping up are not exactly world beaters uh, behind them. So, um, you know, the burning questions for the the Rams kind of go as follows. Can Foles give the quarterback spot the stability and help the offense improve that Sam Bradford could never seem to do? Because if he wasn't going through the growing pains of a quarterback, he was going through the growing pains of healing from his latest injury. So, you know, either either Sam Bradford wasn't wasn't reliable on the field and he was also not reliable to be on the field. So, you know, he put the Rams in a tough position with one year left on his deal. They trade him away to the uh, Eagles, and now Nick Foles is their guy. And he suffered some bumps and bruises in in Philadelphia but was a much better quarterback for the Eagles than Sam Bradford ever was uh, for the Rams. So hopefully a change of scenery for both of those guys will do them some good. Other questions can the defense stay healthy and keep them in the tough games while the offense is still fighting to to catch up you know if if, uh, you know they ever get that passing game going despite their limitations at wide receiver will will Gurley and Cunningham and um, 
Trey Mason be able to, you know, get the running game going well enough that they can hang on to the football and keep their defense off of the field. Um, you know, can Fisher and Les Snead see their division for this team come true before they get themselves fired and thrown out of town? Because, uh, you know, maybe they're on a five-year plan, but I got to think that, you know, with, with Los Angeles kind of looming in the background, because I believe that St. Louis's lease with the city of St. Louis comes up after this season. So this very well could be the last hurrah for football in St. Louis, and it could be the, the beginning of sending the Rams back to Los Angeles, where they came from. Well, actually, they come from Cleveland, but where they were before they came to St. Louis, they were in Los Angeles. You know, will the organization be looking to make a fresh start with a move to Los Angeles? Will they be like, okay, Jeff Fisher, Les Need, thanks for all your hard work, but you didn't get us where we wanted you to go. We're moving to St. We're moving to Los Angeles. We're going to start fresh with a new head coach, a new general manager, and go forward uh, from there. So. You know, will they be able to survive that or will the move to Los Angeles be enough of a distraction that it kind of hinders any kind of progress the Rams hope to make this year? You know, a lot of interesting questions kind of surrounding uh, the Rams. And, and for the most part, a lot of people aren't talking about this team. And I and and I've been telling you guys for a couple of years now, while I've been kind of watching this this um this roster transform from one of the league's oldest to its youngest, I think, by a mile. If I'm not mistaken, one of the youngest teams, if not the youngest team uh, in the NFL, you don't see hardly any. If there are any double digit veterans on the team, you know, I'd be surprised if I looked at the roster again. You know, I think like last year, I only saw like one or two of them. And one one was, uh, you know, one of them was uh, Scott Wells, who was the center uh, on the offensive line last year. I don't I think when when I looked last season, I didn't uh, didn't see maybe one or two. Uh, 10 year plus veterans on the team you know they've made the transition to where this is a team you know they're they're trying to build through the draft and maintain longevity kind of like the the green bay packers you know you've you guys have heard me say this number more than once you know 56 out of 57 people on the roster had only ever played for the green bay packers it's very much looking like that in St. Louis these days. You know, I, I bet you most of the names on that list now have just gotten there within the last four years and, uh, you know, have either only played for the Rams. Uh, you know, I would say a great majority of the players on the roster now have only ever played for the St. Louis Rams. And, you know, that it's taking a, a while for that team to build up traction. And, you know, if they don't, you know, make any kind of progress, make any kind of run at a, at a playoff berth or, God forbid, a division title. They're in a horrible division to try to be making the making the waves in like that. But, you know, will Les Need and Jeff Fisher survive the move to Los Angeles that that's what's going to happen? Will that impending move to Los Angeles be something that hinders the progress because it's something that the players are constantly having to hear about so the, you know players internally worrying about their future am i going to have to move my family to los angeles we're going to have to go to california to be close to, you know the facility and blah 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 and so on and so forth you know it's all those little things the intangibles that we as as, as football fans don't really think about all the time that can really have an impact on the way a football team's 
entering a football game mentally and how they approach things, uh, you know, on Sunday. So it's an interesting uh, bunch, you know, and, and you know, I, I would like to see the Rams kind of come out of this uh, this losing funk that they've been in for for a while. Uh, I found them to be one of the more entertaining teams in the league when they were winning the division every year and they were always kind of in the mix and, and whatnot. And I'm a big fan of Jeff Fisher's, uh, always have been. Uh, from his days in Houston, and and uh, you know, obviously he's a former Chicago Bear, uh, played for Buddy Ryan and Mike Ditka, and and all that kind of stuff. I you know, it never kind of lined up that we could get our hands on Jeff Fisher. So of course, after we get a guy like John Fox, Jeff Fisher is going to be available next year, and all that kind of stuff. It just never lined up that we could get our hands on a guy like Jeff Fisher, who I think would be great for Chicago. But nonetheless, we'll see what all goes down in St. Louis. And if uh, Jeff Fisher will be the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams in 2016, if that is what is destined to happen. So when I look at the schedule of theirs, you know, I'm still not quite sold on the offense yet. A little a few too many moving parts on the offensive line. Uh, you know, the the question mark about Todd Gurley, can Trey Mason carry the load, Benny Cunningham, that kind of thing. The wide receiving core being what it is. I don't yet see the Rams scoring a lot of points yet. So, you know, if it's all going to fall in the defense, hopefully they can stay healthy and keep the Rams in in their in, you know, the important games this year and come out with it. Right now, I think optimistically you're looking at 9 and 7, but more more realistically you're probably looking at 7 and 9, 8 and 8 uh for the St. Louis Rams. So, that's going to do it for my little take on the Rams. Let's move on over to the champs. The NFC champs, that team of teams in the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks have an interesting dilemma going into 2015 because they have two monkeys on their backs that they did not have to worry about a year ago at this time, one of which being the Super Bowl loser Jinx. Um, You know, they did lose the Super Bowl even in the tremendously dramatic fashion in which they lost it uh, last year uh, to the uh, Patriots in Super Bowl 49. Uh, You know, that's always there. Uh, the Broncos uh, did have a successful season but fell victim to the curse in the divisional round. Their first playoff game last year, they lost at home to the Indianapolis Colts. You know, So the Super Bowl jinx did eventually get them in the playoffs. The Seahawks, you know, they have that. They're staring down the barrel of the Super Bowl jinx. And also, this is a team that's kind of stuck in uh, – in the in the um in the wake of their own success uh if you will i mean this is a team that's got some tough decisions to make uh coming up in the very near future one of which they're they're kind of not making now but you know kind of are at the same time and i'm talking about the contract issues with guys like bruce Irvin. Um, they decided not to pick up his fifth-year option on his rookie deal, to which he went on Twitter, of all places. Never, never do that. 
when you're upset no twitter all nfl players and, and and i know i have thousands listening to the show all of you nfl players just hear advice from uncle larry um when you're pissed at your football team put the phone away put the laptop down stay off of twitter or you'll turn into bruce Irvin and say stupid things like well i'll you know i'll be in atlanta next year really oh okay that's good 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 job with that uh bruce or you can be michael bennett who signed a free agent contract for four years last year and already wants a new contract i guess it runs in the family because of course we're dealing with his brother martellus who's two years into a four-year deal and already wants to uh renegotiate um and then of course the main contract issue i mean there's also bobby wagner who's uh you know a line a star linebacker uh on the football team who is rumored to be wanting to looking uh, is rumored to be looking to ask for 10 million dollars a season uh to play that middle linebacker uh position which is i believe unprecedented money for a middle linebacker not named ray lewis and um then of course the big one is russell wilson um there have been talks and negotiations for an extension because he is entering the final year of his rookie contract now he's a third round draft choice a lot of people forget he's a third round draft choice so even though this is the big money year of his rookie contract he's only making 1.3 million dollars if he's even making that much uh this season um because negotiations have been what they've been wilson god bless him has not spoken you know publicly about any frustrations or anything um one interesting story however was that russell wilson is taking out an insurance policy just in case something happens to him like if he gets injured and that would therefore you know hinder his ability to get that big money contract from anyone let alone the seahawks um he's going to you know basically get himself covered i did not find out how much the insurance policy was worth but you gotta imagine it's for a pretty penny if it's going to be protecting him uh you know if something should happen to him uh this year where he gets injured and can't play the season and so on and you know you can kiss 20 plus million dollars a year goodbye if something happens to him you know he'll he'll get a much bigger contract next year even if he does get hurt but it won't be aaron Rodgers, peyton manning money it, it'll be somewhere you know it'll be you know he'll be getting nick Foles, sam bradford money or something like that like you know even though 10 to 12 million dollars a year is nothing to sneeze at he won't be getting that 19 to 22 million that guys like Rodgers and peyton manning are, are, are pulling in uh for being the elite quarterbacks uh in our league so you wonder how much of a distraction if anything those issues will be you've got people that are outspokenly unhappy on the team in guys like bruce Irvin and michael bennett you have bobby wagner you've got that hanging over your head you know that this is coming and this is where the tough decisions are are are, are going to have to be made next season i mean granted um schneider the uh the gm in seattle and pete carroll have really reconfigured this team you know i i've i believe i was watching something on uh on nfl network or something like that in regards to the seattle seahawks and the fact that they made 
something like you know 80 transactions whatever it was some ridiculous number in one season which like the next second team was like half that minus another half um, as far as the amount of transactions that they made but whether it be trades releases signings so on and so forth you know bringing in the right people do they fit well he doesn't fit we'll, we'll let go of him we'll bring this guy in they're really going to have to work their magic because now they're going to have to start paying these players that are making rookie contract money, but now they want to be making elite player money. And, you know, there's only so much money to go around in the salary cap uh, era. And, um, you know, especially if you have to pay your quarterback 20-something million dollars a year, if you pay your linebacker another $10 million a year, that's $30 million devoted to two players for a salary cap that I think tops out at like $130-something million. That's, you know, 25% dedicated to two players, and you have to sign 53. So that's where the tough choices have to be made. Some of these guys they're going to have to let go in order to be able to keep the guys they really, really want. So, the you know, if, um, you know, the decisions – um, you know, they've been able to keep this team together because people aren't making, you know, that those those top dollars and everything. You got the guys that are, you know, they made the right choices via the draft and these guys are paying off for them big time. And now they want to be compensated for the success that they've, uh, you know, gotten the team into with the, the deep playoff runs, the Super Bowl victory two years ago the Super Bowl run last year one player away from doing it again and being in a position to make another serious run at it again in 2015 2016 this team could look very different as far as who's on the team who isn't who got paid and who didn't you know and, and so on it and and you know we'll have to see how the earned current of what's coming in 2016 will affect this team in 2015 now Pete Carroll has has proven himself to be able to keep this team on a very even keel. He's uh, you know aside from guys like Michael Bennett and Bruce Irvin who are flapping their mouths uh, in the media, you know they have guys like Russell Wilson, who, you know the calm, you know laid back, you know kind of cool uh, leaders on the team, and and Richard Sherman for all of his for all of his you know gum flapping and everything, it's for the most part from my my perspective. He's mostly he does most of his talking on the field and the stuff that he does in press conferences and everything is just Richard being Richard. He's not performing for anybody. He's he's being himself. And, and I, you know, can't think of anything off the top of my head where Richard Sherman gave a soundbite during a press conference that was something that was fodder for, you know, sports writers and everything to pounce on on PTI or around the horn or anything like that. Uh, you know, for the talking head shows that they have uh, out there. Richard Sermon, uh, you know, one of the better corners in the league, lets his play do most of the talking. And aside from that unfortunate moment he had with Michael Crabtree in the NFC title game two years ago where he basically snapped it, uh, <laughs> Aaron Andrews <laughs> talking about how sorry uh, Crabtree was and everything. I really can't fault uh, Crabtree for any, or not Crabtree, but Sherman for anything that he's done uh, or said. You know, this is a, a, a level-headed, you know, team that follows the the beat of its leader, and that's uh, Pete Carroll. So, 
you know. I'm actually happy for Pete Carroll. I, I thought that he got a raw deal in New York, in New England. He didn't quite get the opportunity he deserved in those two places. So to see him be able to come back to the league and have success, you know, I'm happy for him uh, in that uh, in that regard. So, But I'm also a guy that likes to see, unless it was the Bears, of course, <laughs> I like to see a changing of the guard every year. You know, to me, it's boring if the same team keeps winning over and over and over again. Um, you know, so I would like to see the Rams come forward or maybe the Cardinals come through and take the Seahawks down, uh, that kind of thing. I want to see the Bears or the Lions or the Vikings take down the Packers because it's boring to see the same teams. Like, even though the football was fantastic in the 90s, it was boring as hell for it always to be San Francisco and Dallas. The only people that it wasn't boring for were fans of San Francisco and fans of Dallas. So otherwise, it's like like four straight NFC championship games in a row. It was those two, those two teams going at it. It's like this, I, you know, like the other, f- you know, 14 teams uh, in the NFC just didn't matter because it's always going to be San Francisco and Dallas. Well, it's getting to the point where it's going to be San Francisco, it's going to be Seattle and Green Bay every year duking it out, and that's boring. Somebody else needs to step up and make a run at this thing. So, you know, granted, I congratulate Pete Carroll on the success that he's had so far with the Seahawks. But, uh, you know, I hope they crash and burn and the the Super Bowl jinx comes through this year so that, uh, you know, somebody else gets a chance in the NFC uh, this year. However, it's going to be tough because, uh, you know, you got Jimmy Graham being thrown into the mix now. And, you know, it, it adds an, a dimension to the offense that it didn't have before. You know, the receivers that are on this team are not dynamic, big-time playmakers. They just make the plays they need to play, they need to make, when the Seahawks need them to make them. You know, like, like that, uh, that touchdown in overtime uh, in the NFC Championship game, the guy that he threw the football to, I believe, dropped a couple of passes. Russell Wilson was terrible, you know, in that game, throwing picks. And, you know, I think it was like the second quarter before he threw a complete pass that wasn't an interception, uh, things like that. Those those guys make the plays that need to make when they need to make them. Jimmy Graham is one of those guys that will make the plays only he can make whenever he feels like it. So adding somebody like him to that offense with uh with russell wilson and his ability to make something happen on the move is going to make the seahawks a very dangerous team to contend with on the offensive side uh, of the ball you know and graham is one of those tight ends that uh, linebackers are too slow to cover him safeties are too small to you know to compete with him for those jump balls safeties and corners are too small to compete with him you know he doesn't it's kind of like Aronkowski there's he doesn't have an equal on the defensive side uh, of the ball so he's pretty much going to do whatever he wants if you can manage to get himself open he's going to hurt you bad and there are a lot of times when he's not open he's going to hurt you bad anyway so you know adding him to the offense if Marshawn Lynch can stay healthy I mean he's I think he turns He's either going to turn 30 this year or next year, but he's 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 inching close to that to that cutoff date where, you know, running backs cease to be uh, productive once they hit the wall at 30 kind of thing. We'll see if Marshawn Lynch can can be can be a stud once again 
2015. Can he continue even though the, you know, they there's, you know, I don't know how much trade he's got left in those tires. Uh, he hasn't had a decline in his skills, that's for sure. It's got to happen. It's going to happen at some point. Will it be this year? You know, will it be this season? So lots of questions to answer, lots of things hanging over the Seahawks they haven't quite had to deal with before. And the real interesting question is how will they respond to these new challenges? You know, when they have to make the decision as an organization on who to keep, who to let go, I mean, that's the thing. Russell Wilson isn't going anywhere. In 2016, he's going to be a Seattle Seahawk. However, the question is, will he be a one-year deal with a franchise tag because they still can't come to terms with him? Will he be on that big, you know, long-term extension uh, contract and everything and, you know, all his uh, meals are paid for for the rest of his life uh, kind of thing? Will Bobby Wagner be joining him or will he be searching for his money elsewhere will michael bennett come back will bruce Irvin eat his words and re-sign with the um with the seahawks at the at the end of the season and and so on will any of this be a distraction in in 2015 will pete carroll be able to coach himself out of this quagmire of a personnel decision that he's got to make uh going into the 2016 season uh, you know, these are interesting problems that have nothing to do with the on the field product and everything to do with it all at the same time. You know, stuff that they shouldn't be thinking about on Sunday afternoons. And because they're professionals, most of them won't be. However, it's Monday through Saturday. That's probably going to be the tough part for this team uh, this season. So uh, I'm very interested to see how the Seahawks will respond to these new challenges and how they'll move forward, uh, you know, going into 2015 and and beyond so you know how much of an impact is jimmy graham going to have and will it be the impact the seahawks are looking for and um you know chris richard the new defensive coordinator for the um for the Seahawks, the the seahawks taking over for dan quinn will he be able to keep the defense where it was under dan quinn is uh, is that something that he can he can do you know is is he a plug-and-play defensive coordinator who's basically just running the defense the same way that it was run before or is he going to try to put a new spin on it and will it work so all these questions ahead uh for the uh for the seahawks don't really have to talk about transactions with the seahawks because aside from trading for jimmy graham it's the same football team so that's what i was saying you know it's the seahawks of 2014 plus jimmy graham you got to watch out for these guys because as far as i'm concerned until someone knocks them off the pedestal they are the class of the NFC, and they are definitely there to be contended with. So that is going to do it for my wrap-up of the Seahawks, and that's going to do it for part two of this NFC West preview episode. Come back later on this week, and uh, we'll either have one or two new episodes for you. It's going to be our same place opponents, the uh, Washington Redskins, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and like I said, we'll have Mike Harar from Hog Haven. On SB Nation, we'll be talking with him about the Redskins and Sander Phillips from uh, Bucks Nation on the SB Nation website, talking to them about the Buccaneers and the Redskins, respectively. Depending on how long those interviews end up being, we're either going to have one episode for each or one pretty fat episode where I get the chance to talk to 
uh, both guys on the same show. So keep your eyes open for that. And like I said, feedback feedback is always welcome. Hit me up on Twitter at Shy Bears Review, C-H-I Bears Review on Twitter. Or you can visit us on the Facebook page. Just search Chicago Bears Review on Facebook and it will come right up. So come on back later on in the week when we're talking to Mike Carrar and Sander Phillips from SB Nation. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Chicago Bears Review.